like, it's hard to believe. It's been, how long? Like, two years this March, right? And uh, it has affected our lives, all of us, in one way or another. Some of you probably have experienced, like, long sickness related or unrelated to COVID. Uh, some of you have experienced the death of beloved ones. Uh, some of you uh, have gone through difficulties. And uh, when we go through suffering and difficulties in our lives, it's perplexing. It's confusing. Uh, you don't understand fully what's going on. And uh, no, most of us want to avoid suffering, but sometimes we just can't. It just falls on our lives, and we have to face it. And when we go through it, it's, it's confusing. It's, it's perplexing. And we need the Word of God to bring light to those difficult moments and, and be enlightened by Scripture. So today we're going to talk about suffering, and we're going to talk about the book of, of Job. We're going to, to read the book of Job. Um, and we'll see how the Bible portrays suffering and how we can apply it to, to our lives. So I'll ask you that you will please pray with me as we prepare to read the Word of God. So let's bow our heads. Lord, I pray that you would uh, use my limited view of things and experience to, to proclaim uh, your word, and you will, uh, you will uh, help me to, by your spirit to, to overcome those limitations, that you will lose my tongue, that my thoughts will be clear and focused, that the proclamation of your word will portray who you are. And as we read from Scripture, you will encourage the ones that need to be encouraged and bring light and life to the ones that are in desperate need of it. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. So today is, is a little bit different, maybe. Uh, we are going to actually cover the whole book of Job. Obviously, we're not going to be reading the whole. It's a very long book, but... Um, I wanted to just uh, have an overview of it, so we'll go through big chunks and sections of the book, and we will, uh, deep in a few sections, read a few scriptures from the book, and we will apply them to, to our own lives, to our own suffering. So if you are a note-taker, um, I warn you, like, it, it won't be easy to follow, so don't get frustrated. Uh, it's okay if you don't take notes today, that's fine. <laughs> so we'll start right at the beginning. Uh, if you have a Bible, please open it. Uh, if you have a digital version, please go to uh, the book of Job. We'll start right at the beginning, chapter 1, verse 1. This is the Word of God. There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job. And I was a man blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. Verse 6. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. Verse 8, And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? 
You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand, only against him. Do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So this is quite a beginning. Uh, I'll introduce you to, to Job here. The word says he is an upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. In fact, God himself says that there is no one in the whole planet like Job. That's what he tells Satan. Now imagine that for a moment. You probably know around you people that are godly, uh, that fear the Lord, that are upright. So imagine for a moment that you know a person here in the church and, and you consider that person the most upright person in, in the church. Now you, you, you set that person apart and you join that person with the godliest person in Covenant Life Church. And then you join them with the godliest people in the region. And then the state. And then the U.S. And then the whole world. And you have them all together in one room. And there is Job. And he is outstanding in front of all them. That's what God says. There is none like Job in the whole planet Earth. So that's quite a compliment for, for a man. There's no one like Job in the planet. Now what happens next is a little bit perplexing. We have this strange interaction between God and Satan where, where God tells Satan, hey, have you seen my servant Job? There's no one like him in the whole world. He's an upright man. He fears God. He turns away from evil. And Satan says, oh, of course, God. Of course he's like that because you bless him in every way. How wouldn't he be like that? But take away his, his stuff. Take away his possessions. And you'll see how he'll curse you in your face. And God tells him, okay, you can, you can do what you want. Just don't touch him. Do whatever you want with his possessions. Just don't touch him. And Satan goes and does his work. Now, this may raise a whole bunch of questions in your mind. Like, what's up with all of that? Why, why, why is God talking to Satan and, and even pointing him to, to Job, which is his servant, and telling him about his righteousness? Why does he even allow Satan to, to kind of challenge him and say, hey, of course, because you bless him in every way? How would he be a, an upright man? Isn't God supposed to actually protect his servants, his people? So, so why, why does he do that? Why does he tell Satan all of that? So we have to read the rest of the story to, to answer a few of those questions. But, but right off the bat, I would like to say this. From the beginning, God is in control, absolute control. He's the one who, who first points Satan's eyes to, to Job. He, he's the one who has been actually blessing Job all along. He has been blessing throughout his life. And he's the one that tells Satan, okay, do this. But he puts limits. He doesn't let just go wild. He says, you can do this, but do not touch him. And he sets the limits. In all of that, God is ruling and sovereign about all the things that are happening. 
So what happens next? In the story we read that calamity falls over the life of Job. In one single day, in just one day, he loses livestock, servants, homes, and all his children. So the, the news come to him like, like tsunami waves, one after the other. If you read the story, it's like one servant comes and says, like, all your livestock is gone. And then as he's recovering from that, the other one comes and says, all your servants are gone. And then all your homes are gone. And then all your children are gone. So that was not a minor thing. This is a real story. The man is just receiving the news, the bad news, one after the other. And if you put yourself in his shoes, how would you react to all of that? So let's see how, how Job reacts. Go with me to verse 20 of chapter 1. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. What, what a remarkable man. If, if I lose my house, that will be enough for me to start like questioning God, like, what, what happened with my house? But, but if I lose my children, I have three of them. If I lose all of them in a single day, that, that will be really tempting to me. I can picture myself raising my fist against the Lord and saying, why did you do that? Who did you take away my children? But that's not the way Job reacted. It says the word of God, he did not sin with his lips. He did not charge God with anything. So let's we'll keep moving on. We go to chapter 2, and we see again the Lord and Satan in a new conversation. And the Lord tells Satan, hey, have you seen my servant Job? He still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. And Satan says, of course, you have not touched his body. Verse 5 of chapter 2, but stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, his hand only spare his life. So Satan goes again and brings this horrible, significant sickness into Job's life. There's painful sores from head to toe all over his body. The, the, the severity of the sickness is so deep that it throws him to the ground. He sits on the ground, laying in desperation, it, the, the, the sickness is so, so significant that um, the friends do not even recognize him when they see him. Read with me in verse 12 of chapter 2. His friends go and, and visit him, and, and, they, and when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him. And they raised their voices and wept. 
And they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads toward heaven. And they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was very great. So this was not a minor thing. He's in pain, he's suffering, he's on the ground, he's sick, he, he's, he's distressed. And yet the word of God says that he will not sin with his lips. Now, let me take a quick detour here. I want to tell you why, why I wanted to preach from this book in the first place. I can, there's, there's ways that I can relate to this book. They are special to me, and I, and I explain why. Um, not long ago, I had a long season of around five years where I struggled on and off with depression. And uh, it was not continuous, but there were long seasons of time, months really, where I was very depressed, on and off. And in those seasons of, of darkness and depression, I, I involved uh, my wife and, and the people in my small group and my fellow pastors to, so they can help me, to, to, to be around me, to pray for me, to give me counsel and, and so forth. I, I visited my doctor several times. I had a battery of blood tests to just make sure that my body was okay. Um, I uh, started checking my, my diet to, to eat healthier and, and my habits of, of sleep to, to get better rest. Um, I, I changed a few things there. Um, I visited even a, a Christian counselor and uh, none of that was really enough to shake off the, the depression sometimes. So I, I wanted to, to just shake it away, and then I did everything possible. I would read my Bible regularly. I, I, will, I, will, I will sing songs. I will do exercise. And, and sometimes just the, the depression would just stick with me and, and will not go away. So now, depression is a word that... It's kind of like, it means different things for different people. Many people said, oh, I'm depressed. And, uh, so, so let me explain to you more specifically what was I experiencing in those long seasons that stretch for months at a time. So, so most of the days and those seasons, I, I was in a kind of sad, hopeless mode. Um, I, I couldn't really focus or or concentrate very well. I couldn't even execute the most basic tasks. And uh, at some point, I was, it was so bad that I was really fearful that I would lose my job. Um, regularly, uh, my wife and my kids and church and work and God will bring joy to my heart. But in those seasons, none of them could really help me to, to shake it off. None of them will help me to get me out from that gloomy state. I was tired and fatigued and, and hopeless, and, and I felt guilty uh, for many reasons. Like I said, I, I couldn't concentrate. I, I couldn't rest some nights. I, I tried to go to bed early the same time all the time, but there were nights that I just couldn't sleep. And even the days that I could, I would wake up, and I still felt so tired. I just didn't want to really get out of my bed. Just wanted to stay there. Just forget about everything else because the day was so painful throughout the hours of the day. I just wanted to forget about everything and, and lay in my bed and forget everything else. It was, 
it was difficult. I remember uh, I was prompt to tears for, for no reason. Like, I wouldn't understand. I was just prompt to tears. And I remember a few times just, like, sobbing in a corner of my house all by myself, just not knowing what was going on, just crying out without understanding what was happening. I did not have uh, suicidal thoughts. But there were moments that, honestly, I just wanted to stop living. It became so miserable. I just didn't want to live anymore. So when I read the words of the book of Job, I can, I can relate to what he says in some portions. Actually, they, are, uh, they evoke deep emotions when I read something like in chapter 3 when, when Job says, After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. And Job said, let the day perish on which I was born, and the night that said, a man is conceived. And then verse 11, why did I not die at birth, come out from the womb and expire? Verse 20, why is light given to him who is in misery and life to the bitter in soul, who long for death, but it comes not, and dig for it more than the hidden treasure. So, so that's how I felt sometimes. I just, I just cursed the day that I was born. I didn't want to be there anymore. And now we get into a section where the, the friends of Job, instead of, um, he, they first go to him and have compassion on him. And they try to, to listen to him and to be with him and, and to comfort him. But then we get into a, a long section of the book where, where they actually start like, questioning about his integrity and his righteousness. And they tried to make sense of what was happening to him. And, and here's what Eliphaz, one of his three friends, tells him in chapter 4, verse 3. Behold, you have instructed many, he tells to Job, and you have strengthened the weak hands. Verse 5. But now it has come to you, and you are impatient. It touches you, and you are dismayed. Verse 7. Remember who that was innocent ever perished, or where were the upright cut off? As I have seen, those who plow, in, plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. So how would you like a friend like that? He sees you on the ground in pain and agony, both emotional pain and physical pain. And he says, oh, come on, Job you complaining come on be strong you have taught others come on besides if if you are innocent then this wouldn't be happening to you but perhaps you have plowed iniquity and this is what you are reaping can you imagine (laughs) how would you how would you react to that and reality is that sometimes we are like that when we try to help our friends that are suffering so, so then, then Job just continues lamenting in chapter 6, verse 4. And he says, For the arrows of the Almighty are in me. My spirit drinks their poison. The terrors of God are arraying against me. Verse 8. Oh, that I might have my request and that God will fulfill my hope, that it will please God to crush me, that he will let loose his hand and cut me off. Chapter 7, verse 3, So I am allotted months of emptiness and nights of misery are apportioned to me. 
Verse 11, Therefore, I will not restrain my mouth. I will speak of the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. This is a real man with real pain. And the Word of God says that he is complaining in the bitterness of his soul. And these words are recorded in the Scripture to, to, to just let us know that it's okay if you're struggling with your suffering, if, if you have questions to God about what's going on in your life, it's okay to bring these things to God. Are you in pain? Are you in doubts? Are you in suffering? Have you been betrayed? Have you been abused? Go to God. Run to Him. Bring your doubts, your complaints, your questions to Him. Run to Him. Cry out to Him. Bring them up to Him. These words are recorded in the Scripture to, to show you that there's real pain. But as we continue reading, we'll see that there's also real hope. So as, as Job is pouring out his heart and, and keeps bringing these things before their friends, one, another friend, Bildad, interjects his, his complaint and he tells them, Hey, Job, how long, verse two, eight, chapter 8, verse 2, how long will you say these things and the words of your mouth be a great wind? Verse 4, if your children have sinned against him, against God, he has delivered them into the hand of their transgression. If you will seek God and plead with the Almighty for mercy, if you are pure and upright, surely then he will rouse himself for you and restore your rightful habitation. So here again, another friend is trying to help him. And, and they're pointing him even to God. He, he's telling him, okay, plead to God. He, if you're innocent, he's going to, he's going to help you. But the way they do it, it's just not helpful. He tells him, if your children have sinned, if they have sinned against the Lord, that's why they are gone. How insensitive. He's suffering the death of his children. He's in the ground in pain. And his friend is telling him what may have happened when I will argue Job didn't need the, the logical reasoning of his friends. He didn't need to even understand rationally why this was happening. Sometimes he just needed them to, to be around and, and to be silent and to listen and to comfort him. In fact, that's exactly what he tells them in chapter 13. At the end of verse 4, he, said, he tells them, Worthless physicians are you all. Oh, that you would keep silent. And then in chapter 16... At the end of verse 2, miserable comforters are you all. He wanted to be comforted. That's what he needed. He wanted not them to be talking. He wanted them to be silent and to, and to listen to him. As I recall those, those long years of, of depression, I remember at different points, different people with all good intent coming to me and telling me all sorts of things like, uh, maybe you, you need to eat more healthier, or maybe you, you need to, to change your, your uh, sleeping habits, or, or, or maybe you need medicine or more vitamins or, or more faith, essential oils or true repentance. 
it was confusing. Perhaps I needed a little bit of all of those things. But sometimes, honestly, I just needed somebody to sit with me and pray with me. I remember I, I would run every day because doing exercise just helped me. But as I was running, I had turmoil in my soul, and I just was pleading and hoping and longing that somebody will just stop me as I was running and just ask me, how are you doing? And I will picture myself just crying out and wiping and just telling him everything that was going on that I couldn't understand. So how can you help your friends that are going through suffering. I, I, I cannot tell you a recipe. There's no a, a set of steps that you need to do. You, every case is different, but what I will ask you is just pray to God and ask Him what's the best thing that you can do at that point. Sometimes it's better to just be silent and listen. Sometimes you just have to be there. Do, do not despise the fact that sometimes just being there for your friend without saying anything is the best thing you can do for them. So think about how you can serve and, and help your friends that are in distress. So this back and forth between Job and his friends goes for really chapters. They keep arguing with him. They keep telling him what may be wrong and trying to help him. And we get to the point where Job is just really tired and frustrated. And, and this is the argument that he puts forth. He says, okay, if I've done wrong, then let me pay for it. But if I have not done wrong, then why is this happening to me? If I'm in a court where I'm being judged, can the judge tell me what did I did wrong so I can pay for it? Read with me chapter 31, verse 35. Oh, that I had one to hear me. Here's my signature. Let the Almighty answer me. Oh, that I had the indictment written by my adversary. Where is my adversary? Where is my accuser? Where, where's the evidence of my guilt? I want to know why did I do wrong? Why am I doing pain? If I've done wrong, then punish me. But if I have not, Lord, answer me. Why am I going through this? At this point, Job is really frustrated. He's tired. He, he's desperate, and he's really ready to hear from God. So finally, we get to chapter 38, and God indeed addresses Job. But he doesn't answer all these questions that, that Job has. In fact, God himself asks Job a few questions to, to help Job see his, his limitations and his lack of control of the things that go around. So, so let's go to chapter 38. This is what God tells Job. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Verse 4, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Verse 7, when the morning stars sun together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Verse 12, 
Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? Verse 16. Have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Verse 22. Have you entered the storehouses of the snow or have you seen the storehouses of the hail? Verse 31. Can you bind the chains of the Pleiades or lose the cords of Orion? Verse 33, do you know the ordinances of the heavens? Can you establish their rule on the earth? Can you lift up your voice to the clouds that a flood of waters may cover you? Can you send forth lightnings that they may go and say to you, here we are. Can you, Job, can you do all these things? So when Job hears God asking him these questions, he realizes that he is small. And this is what he answers in, in chapter 40, verse 4. Behold, I am of a small account. Why should I answer you? I lay my hands on my mouth. He listens to God and he realizes I'm doomed. This is God, I'm not. And he puts his hand in his mouth. But God is not done yet. Here comes round two. Buckle up, Job. And God continues, chapter 40, verse 8. He tells Job, will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? Verse 10, adorn yourself with majesty and dignity. Clothe yourself with glory and splendor. Verse 12, look on everyone who is proud and bring him low and tread down the wicked where they stand. Verse 14, then will I also acknowledge to you that your own right hand can save you. Can you do this, Job? Can you clothe yourself in majesty? Would you accuse me now? Would you prove me wrong? Would you prove me guilty so you will be innocent? He tells God, can you do that? You go before the Lord and prove him wrong and accuse him so you may be declared righteous. Can you send a global plague, a pandemic to the proud man and destroy the wicked? Can you do that? Can you save yourself? Can you save yourself out of your distress? Can you get yourself out of the trouble that is in your soul? Can you save yourself? The answer to all these rhetoric questions are no, no, no. Only God can save. Only God can clothe himself in majesty. Only God can do that. So God had given him what he needed the most. He had given him a vision of himself and his glory and his majesty and his omnipotence. And towards the end of the book, chapter 42, verse 5, this is what, what Job says, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. You see? God had revealed himself to Job. And when Job sees the glory and the majesty of God, he finally realizes, I had heard of you, but now my eyes can see you clearly. And he despises himself. He, he, he falls on his knees, worshiping God. Now, at the beginning of the book, we saw Job 
an Abarite man who had heard about God. But after pages and chapters and months of misery and pain and distress, he now is able to see the Lord King God. God had revealed himself before him. So, so suffering and distress had, had broken Job, have, have led him to a place of, of true humility, have eradicated from his heart all sense of self-reliance, of trusting himself to approach the holy God. Suffering had, had wiped that out so, so he could see, who, so he could be ready to see the majesty of God, the King. Suffering is not random in your life. It's not, it's not wasted by God. It, it has a purpose. It has a plan. You may not understand it, but God has a particular plan for that, and you can trust that He's good, that He's kind, that He's merciful, that He's omnipotent, that He's powerful, that nothing goes out of His sovereignty. You see, Job never heard of the conversation between God and Satan. He never knew about it. But you and I know, we, 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 we read the whole story. He never knew that God allowed Satan to, to, to break into his life and do all that evil work. But what, what Satan intended for evil, God used it supremely for the good of Job. He had been preparing his heart in a way that would have not been possible apart from his suffering and all those moments. And in all those things, God was always ruling about everything else, about the life of Job, about Satan. He, like I said at the beginning, he always put restraints on what he could do. He had his plan, and he was always sovereign. And he's sovereign in your life. He's sovereign in your sickness. He's sovereign in your depression. He's sovereign over COVID and death and everything. Now, God sustained Job through his suffering. But we know as we read the rest of the scripture, that this God, the almighty, powerful, mighty king that was willing to, to take Job through the process and, and, and ultimately redeem him and restore him, was not only willing to, to, to help the sufferer, but he, was, he is able, he was able, he was willing to suffer for the sufferers. He was willing to come to earth and suffer like one of us. God the Father sent his son, Jesus Christ, to suffer for you and for me to, to suffer, to cry tears, to, to bleed blood, to die for you and for me so you and I may have hope that our suffering one day will come to an end, to give us hope and access to heaven where there will be no more suffering and no more pain and no more sickness and no more COVID and no more depression and none of that anymore. And that's only possible because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. So, so the book ends with this verse in chapter 42, verse 47. Sorry, verse 17. And Job did 
And Job died an old man and full of days because he had seen the Lord. So, so I picture asking Job at the end of his life, Hey, Job, was the, all that suffering that you experienced, was all that worth it? And I imagine Job answering me and saying, Oh, man, that was hard. I still tremble when I remember that day where I received the news and I lost everything and my kids. And then all those months of pain and suffering. It was tough. Was it worth it? Yes, it was worth it. Because at the end of it, I could see the King. I could see the Lord. All that had prepared my heart to be able to see Him in ways that I would not see Him otherwise. Now, I'm not trying to equate yourself or myself to Job. We, we have our own stories and, and we sin in our own ways. But if a righteous man like him, if the righteous man in the whole earth can, can go through this process and suffering and God can use it for his glory and to help the guy, then he surely can do that for you and for me. So there is hope in the midst of your suffering. Oh, that we may be like Job, that we may see suffering in the same way that he did, that we would be able to, to, to go through it and although perplexed, although confused, we will be able to, to, to go to God and see, like, Lord, I, I want to see you. Would you reveal yourself to me? That he would be able to do that for you and for me. Let us pray. Lord, I pray that as we have proclaimed your word, that your word that is living and active will do its work in the hearts that are in need today. That you will bring comfort and peace and hope that go beyond understanding. As my brothers and sisters experience their own pain, in whatever they are in their lives, in whatever place they are. Oh, Lord, would you, would you reveal yourself to them? Would you shine your light of glory and majesty and omnipotence and sovereignty over their souls? Would you help them to see that there is hope that that suffering is not wasted. It's not random. It has a purpose. As difficult as it may be to understand. And that you will work it for their good. Give them patience. Sustain them through their suffering. Bring friends that will comfort them and point them to you. And help them remember supremely how you send your son Jesus Christ to suffer for them so they may have hope that their suffering is temporary and will come to an end. Amen.
Palestina sa gira. 